Hello, good day, and welcome. It's our podcast, What Freaks Out Founders. And we're a little different than the usual startup hero worship podcast. We want to talk about the fear, the anxiety, the neuroses that can freak out founders of all sizes, all shapes, all descriptions, and honestly, all levels of success. My name is Matt Toner. I'm your host. I come from that space. I know folks in that space. And I know it's not all sunshine and roses. With us to help make this happen is my producer, Mike Rosen. And he's going to help us today talk about all those things, those neuroses that founders will recognize in themselves, what they're trying to confront, what they're trying to overcome, and in some cases, what they're trying to harness. So stay tuned. Enjoy the guests. They are amazing. And they're going to unpack their wisdom, their learnings, and the things that frighten them. So stay tuned. This is What Freaks Out Founders. So today's guest, I think it's confirmed something. If you want to bring up your kids to be focused on having a good business brain, man, the right way to do that is to think about real estate. Every single person I've come across whose background, family business or whatnot, is real estate. It seems to give them a tool set that is powerful and universal and a mindset that is set up for success in this space. Our guest today, CEO and founder of ProPrep, no exception to that rule. And what I find really refreshing about the conversation, as you'll see, is to him, it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not about dollars and cents. It's a lot about team. It's a lot about the people and the ideas and the value they bring, whether it's the C-suite executive recruit they've pulled out the ether or the business school intern that's coming on the ground floor and is just learning to master the photocopier all the way through. In this company, in this culture, they all have value. And that's a fascinating way to look at things. It's certainly a truthful way to look at things nowadays. And let, let's talk about it more with uh, Al Kareem Kimji, the founder, CEO, and driving force behind ProPrep. So we're here right now with the co-founder and CEO of, I'm going to get this wrong. Is it ProPra, ProPra? How do you folks pronounce the word? We say ProPra, like property and then ProPra. Ah, excellent. Okay, that makes sense. It makes sense given what your company does. And with the co-founder and CEO, Alkring Kimji, hope I got that right. Mm -hmm. And CEO, wonderful title when you're in a startup. But as a friend of mine said way back when I got into this space, great title, shame about the job. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, running a startup is not always a smooth ride. It's got its ups and downs, but loving it so far. Is this your first? Uh, first startup, yes. Really? Congrats. You never forget your first one. That's... No. Uh, <laughs> It is its own journey by itself being a first-time founder, but happily you're not a solo founder. You've got a co-founder. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I do have a co-founder um, and he has a tech background. So he's seen parts of this world before and I have a deep real estate background. So it comes together nicely, um, but this is this is pretty exciting for us. Well, excellent. So for people at home that may not have heard of uh, Propra, quick elevator pitch. What do, you, what do you folks do? And where are you in your development cycle as a company? Yeah, excellent question. So Propra is a modern Canadian residential property management software. We want to be that leading software for landlords and property managers to run their business. We know that there are tons of manual processes in this business. We also know that about a third of Canadians live in rental accommodations, yet there are struggles along the way. And how can we use modern technology to change the way these two groups interact? Because you want to have a home that is safe, that is well-maintained. And from a property manager's perspective, they want to do that business and they want to do it really well. 
And how can we use technology, just like you're used to consuming technology with a package or your groceries, create that same interaction between the landlord and tenant relationship? Very cool. Very cool. And, you know, obviously we talked a bit before the show, like what scares startups is the theme. But obviously there's a lot of psychology around anxiety that we wind up talking about. And I think it may seem funny. This is kind of, I think, a generational change. Normally, you know, you had this expression, safe as houses. You may have heard that one, right? Mm -hmm. And nowadays, it's actually kind of a source of anxiety for people in Canada because there's a rapidly changing real estate market. People are finding it harder and harder to get in. Out here in Vancouver, the whole idea of rent eviction has become like a big, big deal. Uh, mm -hmm. Rents are going up. You know, prices are going up. Interest rates are going up. So we went from a paradigm of safe as houses to where we are today which I think psychologically is a little bit different than it used to be. Yeah. You know, I think, I think about when I think about safe as houses, I think about a T-bill. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was something, it was better than T-bill because you'd see some growth and with the way the market has been, it's changing. And I think also there are different structures in place, to, you know, mortgage stress tests that make the idea of home ownership a little more challenging, not in a bad way, in a thoughtful way. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But again, it, it's so easy nowadays, especially here in Vancouver, to have the panicky headlines, you know, the panicky stories online of, you know, the person who's renting and the person who's trying to buy or the, the real estate agent who was a bit crooked. I mean, it just seems like it's become a bit of a drama. And I don't think it was ever meant to be a drama historically, at least yet here we are. No, not at all. And I think also there's an evolution, right? Even mm. if you look at how Canada's population dynamics are changing, yeah, we're seeing newcomers come to Canada who don't have credit in Canada. And so how do they build credit? And how do they then use that to then buy a home? And so there's a delay for them as well. Interesting. So yeah, there are course. these interesting dynamics at play. But you know, you still want a home that's safe and you want it to be your place where you can come and relax and enjoy. Yeah. So you were in the real estate business historically. Yes. Before you decided to jump in with your own venture. Yes. Did you see as a, you know, as a professional involved in that space, a, a problem that needed fixing or an opportunity that no one was talking about? Were you part of a, a company or a corporate where, you know, the structure wouldn't listen to you about this idea that you felt was quite pivotal. So you decided to kind of make the leap, do it yourself. Like what, what's your origin story here? My origin story starts, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. And so entrepreneurship is very familiar to me and, and same for my co-founder, Craig. Um, but we took very different paths. Craig was always through technology, working at some large Canadian shops like Shaw yeah, yeah, and later Skip the Dishes. My journey, I spent a lot of time in hospitality and hotels. You know, some of my early sort of summer weekend jobs were, were in hotels. Um, and then after my undergrad, I, I worked in a worked for a hotel company and developed a hotel and ran the hotel and saw it from a pile of dirt through to a cash flowing asset. Wow. Um, and so that was fascinating. And my journey began there and I got a little antsy. And so I, I worked overseas and I worked for a consulting firm and I saw what it was like to live in different countries and different environments. And while I was traveling, I realized I wasn't coming home. And so I rented my place and I overnight became a landlord. Right. And I thought, wow, this is actually pretty interesting. Let me try this again. Mm -hmm. And I did it a couple of times. And as I was doing this, I was learning more and more about it. And then I would talk to friends and meet people who were in this space and we would learn about the problems. And then when we realized that there are 4.7 million rental apartments in Canada, that a third of Canada's population lives in rental accommodations, but the property management space of residential rentals 
has yet to see true disruption from a technology adoption point of view, Craig and I thought, huh, there's something interesting here. And so we were working with a venture builder called Harvest Builders, you know, with their entrepreneur in residence to kind of bake this idea. And one day as we were working on it, Craig and I thought, you know what, there's something here and uh, we should pursue it. And that was late 2020. So during COVID. Yeah, so I was going to say, it, it sounds like it's a you know, kind of a pandemic baby, your venture. like Absolutely. Know. Now, yeah, that's absolutely. a big time to take a jump, my friend. I mean, you know, the world is kind of being turned upside down repeatedly. You're saying, I'm going to jump out now and do a startup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's been so good so far. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the comfort of running your own company, and this is what I thought when I did my first real solo venture, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, I, this may not work out. I might wind up losing my shirt, but at least I'll be the last person let go, if nothing else. Like, at least I'm taking this into my own hands. I'm betting on myself mm-hmm. rather than, you know, external mm-hmm. market forces or the whims of a stock market price or a corporate reshuffle or something like that. So I guess it is a different way of blending your risks, you know, like I've never had a dull moment since doing it. And, you know, there is something about kind of living by your own skills and your own wits and, and the people you surround yourself with, right? Yeah, I, I, love, how, I love how you framed that. I think... For both Craig and I, we're we're so excited about the idea of creation and achievement. You know, launching a startup is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's the (laughs) very hard way. And, 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 you know, this may not even work out. So this could be, you know, just a losing situation. But the idea of bringing people together, of, of understanding the needs of an industry and helping solve those problems, and then trying to have fun along the way, I think we've been pretty successful at so far. You know, we're 14 months in and, you know, we've built a great team of, of folks that, you know, I would, I would stand the airport test with, which is, you know, I learned in consulting that if I get there at 7 a.m. and my flight gets delayed till midnight, could I, uh-huh. could I survive, yeah. you know, a little tiny airport with you? Um, and I would say I could do that with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great test. <laughs> that is, I mean, I, I use the airport test in a different way. Okay. Like it's to measure like, you know, how you have like close friends and kind of the next tier out of friends and, you know. And I always say, well, is somebody like a friend, if I bumped into them in an airport, we both had a bit of time, would I buy them a drink and catch up? Oh. Or would I just be like, hey, nice to see you and keep on walking to my oh, to my interesting. gate? You know? Oh, I like your airport test too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a good test. Like someone like, hey, I definitely would take the 15 minutes to sit down and catch up and then maybe run to my gate versus just kind of blowing by them. So, you know, airports are a useful social crucible, yeah. I guess. But let me, let me put it to you this way then. Like, uh, again, sometimes we've had folks that we've chatted with on this podcast, you know, serial founders, serial entrepreneurs, or first timers that have come from a big corporate. What's been the one thing that has really kept you up at night, especially in the middle of a pandemic? You make this jump and there's a lot of stuff you probably could have expected. You've got the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. gene mm-hmm. in your family. And yet, on the other hand, you are creating something from nothing. So what has consistently been the one, and sometimes things are weird, the things that kind of bother you. Like I used to be at my first venture, this will sound dumb, but I said to our office admin, I said, the free soda in the fridge, that can never run out. That fridge has to be stocked every day. And she was like, why? Why is that so important? I said, because people in a new venture are always looking for signs that it's going well or not going well. (laughs) And if the free soda dries up, that might mean (laughs) that things aren't going well. So keep it stocked, right? Is that true? I don't know. I got focused on it. It became my little totem. And I was just, that that was my one thing. I just was kind of a little bit obsessive about that. I'm not sure if you've got that kind of same kind of psychological weirdness about your company, but I'd be curious to hear if you do. So I, I think, yeah, what keeps me up at night and, and what is that weirdness? I, I don't know if it's free soda. I think it's free candy. I'm, no, I'm joking. Um, uh, actually, it is candy. We, we love having candy in the office. Um, or pizza. Right, um, right. 
but I think in all seriousness, I think, you know, it's easy to say failure, but what I think about more is how do we create a valuable experience for, and not in any order, because they're all quite important, our team, our customers, and our partners. And our partners take various forms, right? Be it, you know, like an industry association they're a member of, or our shareholders. But how do you do something meaningful and valuable for that group? And I, that's what I worry about, is are we making that impact? Are we moving the needle? If the expectation is, you know, one to three, how do we go one to 10? Mm-hmm. Which is hard in a startup because it's, it's a resource starved. And you're always trying to listen to what are the needs of the customer. And there's this delicate balancing act. Um, and so that's what's on my mind a lot. Hmm. No, that that is fascinating. And I've heard that expressed in different ways, so not quite the way you've put it, but I get it. Like, you know, is the experience for the employees rich enough? Like, not necessarily financially. People tend to focus on that one. But are people going to look back on this time shared and see that it was valuable? Mm-hmm. However they define value. And not bottom line value. That's an easy one. Anyone can put money in your pocket and you're going to look back and say, that was fine. We got money. But most startups don't work. Most startups falter, if not fail, right? It, absolutely. There's a risk, but there there are people who leave their jobs, well-paying jobs, because they don't love it. Yeah. Right? Like, there's got to be that something that, you know, like you shouldn't say quad, that, that draws you, that brings you to work. Because that moment where you feel, and I and I tell our team this, the moment that you feel like, oh, I have to go to Propera today, man, yeah. let's talk about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about it, because there's something there that's not working. And it could just be a minor adjustment, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe we just need different candy in the kitchen. So to speak. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Or, or not soda, but uh, kombucha or something, right? Yeah, sure. But, let, but let, let's, let's think about that. What, what's your head count now? Like how big are you folks roughly? Um, as of this coming Monday, we'll be 21. 21. Okay, cool. Great size for an early stage venture, by the way. You Thank got you. a sense of mass, but you haven't hit that 50 person barrier yet. Have you heard mm-hmm. that idea? Like 50 people in a startup is where the culture goes through a shift because suddenly you'll look around and you'll see people you don't know working on stuff you hadn't really heard of because you've just gotten bigger, right? 20 is still good. You're like your Amazon pizza teams, that's like what? Like a four pizza team size company? That, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty manageable. Are, are you that's like, how big the pizza is though. I'm joking. <laughs> that's true. Very true. There's a lot of food metaphors, man. Are we missing yeah. lunch today? Like what's, what's going on? But uh so would you find that you blend people on your team? Like, and you're right. You as the founder, like they're putting their trust in you, not just the, and I would say to like the leads when we would take on new folks, I'd say, hey, we're not just hiring this person as a programmer. We're responsible for their mortgage. We're responsible for their kids' savings for education. We're responsible for their wife's happiness because they're part of this company. It's not just, you know, they're not inputs and outputs. Mm. We need to reciprocate that. It bothers you when you are going through uptimes or downtimes, especially mm-hmm. if you're not meeting that social contract with the people that are showing up every morning to help make your dream come to life. I, I think I think about that. Both Craig and I spend a lot of time making sure that we know who our team members are, you know, what makes them tick, but also who's part of their family, right? It's almost one of the first couple questions that I ask when I'm getting to know someone after the interview process and they've joined the company <laughs> is, you know, tell me about your family, tell, you know, tell me who you are, tell me what you do for fun. Right. Because right. knowing what makes someone tick not only is meaningful, but it also brings us together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very curious about this 50 person rule. I'm going to have to learn more about it and figure out how to break it. Oh, well, exactly. It's, it's almost like a function of scaling, you know, like when a company starts to take on that momentum, I recall like years ago, I joined a studio, I was like employee number 28, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. 
and we went to 80 people in less than a year, right? Wow. And you could feel the wheels coming off of it during that time because it necessitated an unforeseen change in office. It necessitated a whole rediscovery of are we open concept? Are we not open concept? You know, it had a whole reexamination of, well, how do we do sick leave better for a team of this size, which has a whole bunch of contending obligations? Hey, we got parents now that are part of the team. Mm. They got kids. They, they got obligations outside. Just cascading changes that couldn't be managed. You couldn't put people in the same conference room, right? Yes. Like, yes. Suddenly you're running a different company, right? And yeah. if you can break through the 50 person barrier successfully, the sky's the limit, but many companies, they falter a bit trying to negotiate that. You know, they got to bring in adult supervision, let's say. Hmm. Uh, watch out for it. You're, you're on that track. You know, your company's growing. Things are going well. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's good to know. I will, I will, I will note that. I'm actually right taking notes. So soda, <laughs> soda, candy, pizza, and now 50 people. You know what I found? Uh, honestly, Al, is just, you know, more soda solves everything. Just <laughs> drown them in free soda. They don't even notice after a while. No, kidding, kidding. <laughs> This podcast is being brought to you by the folks at Shred Capital. At Shred Capital, we're looking for ferocious startups and fearless founders that are taking their first or ideally their second swing at a game-changing new venture. We provide business optimization consulting. We provide non-dilutive financing. We provide a shoulder to cry on, and we want to lead, seed, or syndicate your first equity investment. So check us out, Shred Capital. That's at shredcapital.com or Shred Capital at any of your favorite social media platforms. But let's talk about your, your partner, your co-founder, who's not on the call right now. Yes. Uh, he's your tech. Yes. Like you're, the, you're the suit, he's the tech. And that's a classic fit, right? Tech is a very driven pursuit sometimes in startups. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you are a founder, but you're also probably the best person at driving the technical changes. And, you know, do you find that he feels pulled out of a kind of a, a need to be like, look, I'm going to get in there and finish coding this feature because... It'll get done right. It'll get done first. I can make it happen. Just give me some time. I'll get it done versus leaning back a bit and saying, okay, how do I empower my team on this? Because, you know, a lot of tech guys feel like they want to manage, but they also want to fix and they're fighting that tension constantly. So I see that tension. I also see that tension because Craig is so deeply interested in, in the business side, in the sales side, in the marketing side, in the investment side. And so I see that pull constantly. And I think a piece of it is how do we build very thoughtful trust-based relationships, which in a startup is critical because if everyone is doing their thing really well, then we all together move, right? If someone's pushing a rope, it's it's not going anywhere, right? Yeah. And so I, I see it. We also talk often and we always check in and say, you know, do I need to come to this meeting or can I code or can I go work on a product idea? Mm -hmm. Or can we go problem solve an algorithm to which the general answer is always yes, because at this stage, what's more important, right, yeah. is product. And, you know, we bring the needs of the customer forward, but then how do we develop that? And how do we translate those needs in a way that the customer feels heard and also at a pace in which the customer feels heard? Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that Craig rolls up his sleeves, but he also really gives the team space to um, make things happen. Well, it's it sounds like you have a pretty flat hierarchical structure in your company. Oh, absolutely. It, it sounds like, it, now, is that a way for you to almost, I mean, this, this may sound a little weird, but work with me on this. Do you think it's almost a way of a strategy for dispersing the anxiety? So you're not like the lonely captain on the bridge of the ship, you know, in a sense, you're kind of 
crowdsourcing solutions. You're kind of spreading the problem around a lot of smart people and hopefully lowering the temperature at the same time. So I, in, in some ways, yes, but I would, I would position it differently because all of our team members are also owners of the company. Everyone has some shareholding in the venture. And so to me, it's everyone's responsibility. Um, we just have different roles. Right, you know, right. Craig's is called CTO. Mine is called CEO. But that's just because those are the functions that I provide. But I, just like everyone else, am accountable to each other. Like we're all accountable to each other. And I think there's something special about that and something special about that attitude. Right, because there has not been a situation where I've had to think about, oh, is this person doing their work? No, just mm -hmm. everyone's making it happen, right? And I think also in the new age of the way people work, especially in this sort of role and business, is there's a very hybrid element. Come to the office, you don't come to the office. You work from home, you work on the weekends, you work evenings. But are people getting things done? That's the important measure, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not to be output driven either. It's also, are we building team? You know, are people showing up to team events, participating? Because that also builds that social conscience as well and that social almost capital, but also that responsibility to your peer or to your fellow owner. Right, right. Well, I, I think that is important. Because I mean, that was very much part of the whole tech-driven startup boom back in the late 90s was this kind of utopian idea of we're all owners, we're all shareholders, we're all committed to the journey. We're all contributing our skills and kind of respect what other people bring to the table. I think for a while that got a little bit snuffed in more recent years, where I think the dynamic changed. And it was almost, I feel, with a lot of this generation of founders, people like yourself coming out of the pandemic, almost a return to those first principles, right? Those more egalitarian ideals behind why we're doing this venture together. Well, and I think also in the early stage when you are resource I was about to say starve, but let's say resource light or resource economical. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, coming into an early stage venture, there's a higher risk, right? But I think the upside isn't just, you know, your employee stock option program. It's, it's also the opportunity to learn and own something that is material, right? And to have an impact. You know, we even see that with our interns. Um, we've had, this is our second semester, let's say, of, of an intern program. It's amazing. It's amazing to see them grow. It's amazing to see how excited they are. I'm grateful for how much work they can move forward on. And But it's not just like menial tasks. It's right. actually meaningful tasks right. that help advance the business in a serious way. And, and that program has helped our business in leaps and bounds. Well, you know, I think you can really judge startups by how well they cultivate the junior talent. Because as you say, if you're in a resource-constrained environment, Sometimes you you know you have to hire junior people to fill roles that maybe are a bit of a stretch for them. Mm -hmm. But th there's definitely some upside to that because if you can give them a good experience, if they work with you for a couple of years, you, you get an outsized return if you invest in their growth. If you invest in what they're hoping to do, you get big, big dividends at the end of that cycle. But how do you find sort of the, personally, the patience to manage that kind of a tempo when you're understaffed, under-resourced, ambitious goals, and yet, you know, you need to move the speed of advance of your team, which, again, might be slower if they're more junior. Like, you know, how do you temper that? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you're right. There, there's that, that natural push and pull. We, a piece of it is just our expectation, right? We have generally reasonable expectations in the first month and generally unreasonable expectations by the last month because <laughs> we invest a ton of time in the team. And right. I think yeah. we've all had those experiences where we've been in an environment where there is no mentorship or feedback 
And there are environments where the feedback may not be the best kind of feedback. So we develop learning plans with our interns. Uh, we don't call them interns. We call them business analysts because we want them to feel like an equal team member. Mm-hmm. And they drive work streams and they own pieces of work and the buck stops with them. And I think it's that paradigm shift of how we see them as, as a team member. They're not just like this junior person. They're just part of the team. I think has really helped change it. We've also learned a lot from our interns. So we are open to feedback. Feedback is two ways. And it's that engagement, which is then allowing us the ability to help grow the business because they want to learn and they want to grow from the experience. We naturally want them to do that all the while helping us advance the business. And so it's, it's, it's worked so far. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's working. Well, that's great. Do you find your company so far, admittedly you're new and growing. Mm -hmm. Do you find that in the present environment is churn a problem? Like people coming in and, you know, getting either a different offer or a better offer, or maybe not buying into your philosophy, or or is churn still something that because you put in place these mechanisms and these social dynamics, that people feel safe in your startup? Look, churn, I think, is natural. We have yet to face significant churn. Churn has happened, though, which is part of the process, right? We've been doing this for about 14 months, 15 months. But I think it's those structures that we have in place that help us. I think a challenge also is, is that People churn for personal reasons or things changing or, you know, even just how the environment has adopted from no office to allowed to be in the office to not allowed to be in the office. Like that itself is an uncontrollable pressure and strain that, you know, we can manage and, you know, we can have online team meetings and play an online game and, you know, offer Uber Eats for lunch. But at some point, those things aren't enough. And that's okay. Because actually, I prefer the clarity of knowing that it's not okay and then finding the right place. Because that comes back to that whole thing, right? Like if you wake up in the morning and you're going to work and you're like, ugh, propra versus yay, propra, there's a big difference, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not just demonstrated in your work life and how how you interact in the office, but it also spills into your personal life in your evenings and weekends. And we're conscious of that. Right, right, of course. How do you manage that excessive burn and churn? You know, because like one of the ventures I was involved in, one of our more recent startups, we had an unofficial policy of no overtime. Like we said, listen, we will adjust the scope. We will rein things in Mm. so that we don't have to fall into this cycle or this cultural cycle of, hey, we're working late, we're ordering dinner, et cetera, et cetera. It was a game studio. In the game industry, this is more predominant, perhaps, this idea that, hey, it's going to be like a tough cycle and that's the norm. Like, I mean, especially nowadays where people do have choices and they're working from home and the balance is more real or it's more Mm -hmm. immediate if it's out of balance. Right. Like I think that's something that is, is relatively a new thing. And I, and I'm Mm -hmm. willing to wager that most companies haven't quite figured that piece out yet. Cause if you're sitting at home and you're working and some of your folks doubtlessly do this, you know, you're staring at the same four walls and I think there's cycles in productivity where people are just staring at four walls as opposed to really kind of kicking in because the dynamic is just, you don't get that extra lift from your coworkers. It's just very difficult on a Zoom call. (laughs) It is very difficult, right? And so, you know, what are those things that we can keep bringing people together, right? So be it, um, you know, a Slack channel about music or, um, you know, celebrating any wins that we have and, and, and keeping people, everyone in the loop about it. There are things that you can do to, encourage it but there's also just you have to be reasonable that there are just moments that people are 
going to be staring at those four walls because that's just mm-hmm. what happened, right? And I think it's how do we engage folks when they are in the office or getting an update about the company? And so we do a company update every four weeks. Um, it's a full team meeting. Maybe that's going to evolve, right? Maybe when we hit 50 people, it'll be different. And so how do you think about those things? Mm-hmm. And we also don't assume that we know anything or everything. We, we ask. We ask constantly, right? Be it in you know one on ones or just casually when you're eating candy in the kitchen, um, <laughs> because who are we to say that we know the answer? Rather, our role is also just to steward this organization that we all own together. Right. Well, you know, you mentioned that you've done you know a more conventional business new venture uh, in the hotel space before doing this venture with your founder. Do you find that those experiences in kind of more the bricks and mortar world? have informed what you're doing now? And has it been informed in a positive way? Like, hey, this was something that I think we could benefit from? Or was it more of a, uh, I wish we'd done this before. I'm making sure we do it now dynamic. Although you seem like a very positive guy. So I'm guessing it's more the former, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I'm a very, yeah, half full kind of guy. I um, That's a great question. So, you know, my experience not only spans real estate, but also, you know, I worked overseas in for a private equity fund. I also worked for a management consulting organization that took me around the world. I think all of those experiences are actually quite valuable because I not only saw it from the external perspective as a consultant, where you'd go in and try and help businesses and understand their problems, but also from an operator point of view, mm-hmm. right? right? I think the difference is understanding how do tech startups work? What does it mean to feel pace and move at a quick pace versus at an, what I feel is almost negative is an urgent pace because you never feel satisfied, but mm. what is the right pace to constantly move forward? And I think the key is, is listen to your customer, right? Is what is the customer need and then how do we do it and how do we do it in a reasonable frame of mind and timeline? And, and that itself to me is, is the learning, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, listen to the customers, like understand the market, right? It's like, will people want to stay in this hotel yeah. or will people want to, I don't know, uh, you know, w- whatever companies that I had worked for, will they want to buy these products, be it, you know, mining materials or a retail company? Um, would they be interested in buying these things? And th- that itself is, is interesting because you're almost trying to think about where do you throw the ball and where will the customer be and how do you connect? Right. Right. You can tell I was watching football earlier, football highlights earlier. Um, you know, so I, like, I give very similar advice to other companies that we work with. I say, you know, the sooner you can build in a feedback loop that's connected to the customers, the happier you're going to feel because the guesswork goes. You know, you don't have to like imagine or go on instruments or fly blind. You're like, no, 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 no. We're hearing this. We're fixing it. We showed it to them. They like it. There's certainty. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we know that we are as successful as we are because of our customers. There's no ego in this one, right? It's not Craig and I. Right. It's our customers, right? And our team. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. One of the guys that worked with me at my very first startup had come out of the hotel business, oh. right? And he'd been, I think, like a night manager or something. Oh, amazing. And uh, we put him into, even though we had nothing to do with hotels in our company, you know, what we realized was he, he said when we interviewed him, when you're in that gig, all you're doing is listening to the customers and all you're doing is trying to figure out ways to make them happy, mm. right? Because they don't come to you as a night manager unless there's something wrong, right? Yeah. So, you know, you have to learn to enjoy that process for it to make sense at all, right? And that's, that's a big lesson there, I think, you know, like that's a position where you can't just kind of turn it off. You're like you're, you have to respond and make a good judgment in that moment 
and listen. Yeah, and, and so that's actually fascinating. Um, and maybe I, I don't give enough credit to that upbringing and training. But you're right, the customer need, you know, when the customer comes down and says, like, this has happened, it's not about you, who, the person who's receiving the information. And, and that person may not need more than just an apology, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But learning how to hear the needs of the customer and then respond to that, oh, that's very interesting. That's very valuable feedback, actually. I love that analogy, or I love that parallel. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Feel free to use that. I mean, hey, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it is, I mean, what, it, what I take away from this conversation, you know, for what it's worth, is, I mean, you seem to have a very well-rounded, positive approach to things. And I think that is probably a good thing to cultivate if you're going to be a founder or a starter, because things will go sideways. Like people sometimes think they get drawn into it for different reasons. They think it'll be 18 months and I'll be Jeff Bezos part two, <laughs> but th- these things have a very different lifespan. And you almost need to cultivate that sense of optimism. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something that people come to instinctively, but you just need to say, you know what, there are reasons to be optimistic today. And I'm going to focus on those things. And I'm going to make that contagious in our culture. Yes. But I think there's also a balance, right? So being positive is one thing. But you can't be overly positive because it can be too much. But also not only celebrate the wins, but also when there are, let's call them learning opportunities, <laughs> how do you share those? How do you learn from them? Mm-hmm. How do you talk about them in a thoughtful way? And so I think a piece of this is learning how to curate your energy um, so that when you go into a conversation or you're really excited, how do you celebrate that? And when you're when you're feeling the lows, how do you talk about it in a safe way where people don't feel worried about their jobs, but they see it as a moment of growth that adds to the journey that helps the business, if that makes sense. Uh, that, Again, that, super optimistic. <laughs> no, but I, I think you have to be, right? Like, I mean, you know, I think unless you've got a, like a real confidence in your problem-solving abilities or just a general confidence in the team that you're building and how they will approach the work and approach the life, then I think you do get that kind of holistic response that makes it easy because it is going to be up and down and side to side. Right now, the world's going through a, another economic contraction that a month or so ago would have been probably hard to imagine, you know, who, who to call that. Not a lot of people, but here we are, we're managing it and it will pass mm-hmm. and, you know, things will normalize and there'll be opportunities to continue to learn and grow and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, in the short term, you might as well be optimistic and realistic because chances are you'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think there's also just more going on than we typically realize and know. And so governing ourselves in a certain way actually brings a sense of stability, right? If you can manage the highs and share them, and if you can manage the lows well, then you're contributing to a bit of a a stability, which... Mm -hmm. You know, the, the fact is, the early stage venture tech is a very high risk venture, which can bring folks anxiety. Yeah. Um, and so you're almost like curating that. And talk, as you talk about these things and you go day by day, you're constantly de risking, right? And that is special, actually. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, the people that are working for you, like they're looking to you for that, those cues, right? Like that, hey, we're not pretending there isn't a problem. We're understanding it, we're working our way through it, and we'll be deliberate. In those things. And so you don't need to be worried about that because you're confronting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love Excellent. it. Excellent. Well, listen, this has been a great chat. I really enjoyed that. I feel like actually I've learned a couple of things I hadn't considered. You, you've got a nice way of framing things up. And, you know, I think that's a great gift for a, a CEO, co-founder type, entrepreneur or, or disruptor. It's being able to talk through these things and kind of give people a sense of, you know, not just a, a pleasant conversation, but also hopefully some kind of discovery. So uh, 
Didn't seem like a fearful podcast. <laughs> I don't think you ended the idea that you, you don't like clowns or mimes or something. Yeah, Maybe that's next dark. time. I don't yeah. know. Um, or the dark. Maybe not the dentist after all the free soda. Who knows? But uh, there you go. Um, no, Listen. Th- thank you for this opportunity. Um, I, I, I enjoyed this because it helped us helped me reflect on, on different parts of our journey that sometimes you don't actually get to do unless you mm-hmm. pause and have that conversation. Otherwise, you're just kind of going from one thing to the next. Yeah, and that's easy in a startup. Momentum and speed feels like an accomplishment just by itself. Mm-hmm. So, hey, glad to help that it helped you uh, reflect a bit and share those things. Thank you. So we'll, we'll we'll check back in in a year and see see how far your journey's taken. Absolutely, would love to. All right, perfect. thanks so much. Okay. My pleasure, man. So Matt, I really enjoyed your conversation with Al Karim Kimji, the CEO of Propra not propra, as I know you like to refer to it as. Listen, yeah, he talks a lot about team and, you know, clearly I, I, he must be misguided on that because, you know, this is what happens when you empower a team member, like my producer, Mike, gets all uppity on the pronunciation stuff. So, you know, so here you go. Here's the downside of making the youngins think they got a voice in the business. They correct your pronunciation on the air. It's my job to focus on continuity. Ah, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Great conversation. Uh, anyways, great founder journey. And again, you really get the sense that there's more to come from this guy. I think this is like his first, there's more coming out of this guy in the future. This will be the first of many interesting ventures from this chap. I can't wait to see what they are. I'm going to look, look forward to keeping track of where things go. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, to me, some people look at the whole idea of being a founder at this time, in this place, as being some kind of really rarefied skill set, or really, you know, some kind of specialized, almost quasi-mystical approach. Man, there's layers, right? Like, there's layers now, even in pop culture around the startup founder. But uh, yeah, you talk to a guy like this, and really what I come with is just the idea that it, it can just be as direct as throwing a dart at a dartboard. You know, you just have to line things up, give it your best shot, push forward, and, and good stuff happens. It self-actualizes in some ways, you know? And I, I, I think that the direction of forward motion of this company really brings that to life. Like you don't need to sit on the sidelines, ask permission, overly plan. If you see a need, you perceive a want, if you think there's a way to help people live a better life, it doesn't take much nowadays just to make that a reality, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting also because I think that there's so much romanticization of the idea of a young startup founder in his garage, and that's where all these great ideas come from. And obviously there are very clear instances of that historically and that continue to this day, but I think that's way more of the sort of rarefied space. And I think someone like Al Kareem, who's got a career of not just working in a bricks and mortar business and having experience of seeing how that works, but also of consulting and seeing what works with teams and what doesn't work with teams. And being able to take that knowledge and that awareness back to your startup, I mean, it helps you sort of, you know, you're already starting on second base. And I think that in many ways, I think that can be a really great way into the startup world as opposed to people thinking like, oh, well, you know, I've already started my career and it's too late. It's a, this is a young man's game or whatever they might think about it. This is, just goes to show that you can take the experience and the learnings from seeing what's worked and what hasn't worked in other places and apply that to the startup space and you can get a lot out of your team because of it. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably a healthy way to look at things in general. Is you know right now we came from a generation like the, the madman post World War II generation, the boomer generation, uh, if you will, where the whole idea was you just had to find the right ladder and climb it, and things worked, right? And anything else was seen as being very risky, right? I mean, I came from a family like that, so it was like, no, just find the ladder, 
climb the ladder. Even when I ventured into the venture space, I my mother still say, well, you could always go back to the bank. They were, they were good to you there. I was like, wow, like, it's just burned into their DNA, right? And it's probably generationally a little bit different for you because I know your father, right? And he, he is himself a very entrepreneurial guy. And so I think increasingly people are looking at the buffet of life and saying, you know, I need a little from column A, a little from column B, right? Like I should try to have some influence social. I should try to build a product with somebody else. I should try to have a creative artistic side that expresses itself. I should find a way to make a good living for me and people around me. And like all these things can be orchestrated, you know? It doesn't have to be, well, I got the job at the office. And, you know, I'll get my gold watch in 20 years. <laughs> and that and that's the deal, right? Like, yeah, I hope that's the deal at least, right? Yeah, and also just like the awareness that like sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. And when they don't work, it's not a devastating failure. You know, you you can pivot, you can start things again, or you can you know approach it with a new understanding. And it's hopefully continues to improve, and it's a constant progression forward. But again, this understanding that like you don't have to hit a home run at your first at bat. And in some ways, not hitting a home run at your first at bat helps improve your learning in a really significant way. And if you are gathering those learnings and being conscious about what it is that, that is helping you be successful and helping you not be successful, applying that to future endeavors is only going to help make those stronger and stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Mike, did you like that little shout out to Howard Rosen, at Rosen Insights, for those of you that tweet? Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he's always got something going on. He's, uh, well, he's written up in Forbes now. He's got a Forbes article out there. Humanizing yeah. transformation. Don't forget the people. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Prop through that. He's a good dude. Well, he, I appreciate it. And I'm sure he does too. Okay. On that bubbly and upbeat note, let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Thank you so much to Alec Green. Thank you so much to producer Mike pulling this together. And thank you so much to all you out there listening. There must be at least seven or eight of you. And uh, we appreciate you coming back from Chapter Week. And the next one, I hope, will be at least as good as this one. And if not, a hell of a lot better. Thanks very much. Okay, so that does it for the day. The pod is done. I want to thank our guest. I want to thank our producer, Mike, in the control room for all of his thoughts and his feedback and his wisdom. And of course, his technical skills. That's what makes all this happen. Our podcast is What Freaks Out Founders, where we explore not just the good stuff, but especially the bad stuff, the anxieties, the neuroses, those things that go bump in the night, and not just for the founder, but for the investor. And in our experience, that's true whether you're in Silicon Valley, you're in New York, you're in Berlin, or you're in Saskatoon. It's these common shared things that we're all working really hard to overcome. So check us out online wherever good podcasts are found. And if you want to check out our sponsors at Shred Capital at shredcapital.com, they can be found online and on all your favorite social platforms. Shred Capital tweets, Shred Capital shares, and Shred Capital supports. So hopefully they work for you. Hopefully you come back for the next episode. And if you have an idea or maybe an especially neurotic founder that you'd like us to talk with, we hope you get in touch. Have a great day.